0: It's January 3rd, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum.
1: And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to have our good friend Ian Kitajima from Oceanit. He's returning, this time to tell us about a special Altino coding class for kids. And then we'll talk
0: to Tom Conway and Saja Koirala, and they are from the Center for Disability Studies and we'll talk about assistive technologies and efforts to ensure information and tools are accessible to everyone.
1: But as mentioned, first up, let's welcome Ian Kitajima from Oceanit, who's back on the show to tell us about this Altino class. Welcome back, Ian. Thank you, guys. It was good to it see is... you at the HTDC Holiday Tech Fair. Yes. Lots of uh, candidates, lots of local tech companies hiring. Yeah, I think it was the biggest one.
2: Biggest one, yeah. I think it was one of the biggest ones we've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, and you know, there were so many people that I ended up
0: talking so much that I got my sore. <laughs> <laughs> my throat sore, but but there were a lot of people at your
2: booth, right? I mean, well, there's tons of people at your booth too.
0: Wow, well, wow, well, that's know. because of my yeah. good looks. But I mean, okay. you know, oh, okay. was that Ryan's good looks? Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Ryan was. So it. let's get to this
1: Altino <laughs> class. Now we've featured the Altino coding platform before. Yep. It's Great for kids or kids at heart. It's little robotic cars, like right. that you can you would imagine a kind of a yep. blown up Blinky Hot Wheel, maybe. But you can use a specific language and get the car to do things and perform certain tasks. Correct? Right.
2: Correct. So actually, the the focus has been to actually train teachers in coding. Right. Right. Teach, train the trainers. Train the trainers. Teach teachers, uh, and we teach them uh, C C So we and so we have second grade teachers teaching C C to elementary school kids. So. We've, this past year, we we trained over 100 people. About 73 of them are, were teachers. And so we actually have an upcoming training. Um, but this is actually a, the prerequisite is you've had to gone through some of the Altino training to begin with. Mm-hmm. But on January 20th or the 21st, you can come and actually do an advanced sensor training. So this car is very sophisticated. It actually has so many sensors, we can't actually get through them in four days. So this is a special one day. But we're bringing the Altino... Um, team so it's actually the ceo and actually five whiz kids they're fifth sixth seventh and eighth graders that are coming over from korea five kids who are going to be part of this training they're going to be helping us teach uh, these events into the class so it's either january 20th or the 21st it's uh, on eventbrite you can come join us the other major thing that's launching is we're going to be doing uh, a four-day it's primarily on saturday starting on february 3rd um, a four-day altino class so this could be you know if you're a Student, or, or you're an executive, and you want to learn like what is this coding stuff, and you're really uh, scared, you don't know how to get into it. Like this is like we do the, the really basic, basic stuff in four in over four Saturdays, um, so you can get a, you can kind of experience what coding is. It's everybody can do it. So this is like Altino coding for non coders.
0: Well, you know, Ian, it's great to have kids come over from Korea and and teach others, you know, in a class, but. I mean, you've been teaching this class, and have you've had other instructors teaching this class yes. for the better part of this whole past year. Yeah. Uh, what is it that's going to be different from from their teaching uh, methodology that might oh, be a, a, yeah. a learning experience for everybody?
2: So one of the things that um, we, we kind of designed in the training is, is basically for the teachers, we, we do now uh, a professional development training. So teachers mm-hmm. can get three professional development credits by taking a six-day class. So it's four days of intensive coding. And then actually the innovation is actually the last two days, which is actually curriculum development. So we take a social studies teacher or an art teacher or music teacher – who, have, who knows nothing about coding, take them through four days of coding and then spend the next two days developing curriculum in their subject matter area. So basically that social studies teacher still has to teach social studies, but now they're incorporating coding and, and these Altino cars and actually in, in, in their learning.
1: Well, I was definitely going to mention that because it's not, you're not looking necessarily for, and it's not just for, computer science teachers yeah. or even if you're at a school that has a coding teacher. It is really for trying to apply these skills and these tools to a broad range of topics you mentioned social studies so give me an example of what you've seen in this great successful pilot first year to expose every student through teachers to coding that uh took a cool sensor laden altino toy car and applied it to something like social studies what what would that even look so like like
2: one like one i don't know if it's social studies but uh somebody was doing uh like history kind of of Mm. like just kind of following the hokuleya voyage and basically having the students kind of track how the Hokulea was where it was going around the world, but having students study those areas but then put, creating like a really large map on the ground and then basically having the kids code the cars to actually traverse the same kind of path as Hokulea. And you can imagine like these cars too, you could actually create a, a body of a canoe and actually put it on top of these cars and, and actually have it navigate as well. There's all these sensors, so you can even do autonomous driving with them. Mm-hmm. So, so, how long are the, uh, the the team from from Korea going to be in town? So they're actually going to be here. Uh, they arrive on the Friday, the nineteenth. They'll do two training sessions. One either on the twentieth or you could come on the twenty first. Then we're potentially maybe going to Molokai mm-hmm. uh, to visit the robotics team there with uh, Kamehameha Schools. Uh, on the 23rd, we'll actually visit Kamehameha Schools uh, and, and some other folks, and it holds the reception at Oceanet that evening. For and I can, I
1: can certainly see the opportunity for people in Hawaii to interact and learn from these students and the CEO of Altino coming from Korea, but I would imagine that there's a great opportunity for these students, these 6th, 7th, and 8th graders coming from Korea to learn something from us.
2: Yes, absolutely. One of the most exciting, for them, they're really excited about visiting Kamehameha Schools, which is actually our, our title sponsor, mm-hmm. the folks who really had some faith in us, and actually said let's let's try and do this stuff so so we're partnered with Kamehameha schools, and so the students are ex- very excited and, and actually we'll be staying up at the Kapalama campus uh during this time, so we're really grateful for to Kamehameha schools for all of their support and in bringing the cultural piece uh as well and so we'll also work with the uh coding students of Kamehameha schools as well
1: hmm. well you mentioned that this event or these this, these one day sessions either the 20th or the 21st are really for people who've already gone through the program have some experience with Altina yes. but you also mentioned that there will be a broader open event in February uh, if somebody yes. listening is interested in Altina and again you could be a company executive you could be a student who's interested in coding and you could be a teacher of any subject where can they go to find more information to learn more about Altina
2: well they can go to the ByteMax cafe website but they can also go to Oceanet uh, and also if you go to Eventbrite uh, and you search just for Altino there a bunch of things will pop up including a learning lunches we're, we're going to be hosting some learning lunches uh, um, starting this month for the next five months so you can come over just learn about over lunchtime, what this Altino stuff is and then also sign up for any of these classes that are coming up.
0: Sounds good. So you're really going to kick off to 2018 with uh, a lot of Altino and
1: classes. And yeah, we're
2: super busy. Oh, and very we're planning good. out the the trainings for the summertime again, uh, as well for the teachers.
1: Well, we'll put those links up for sure and send yeah. those
2: out. Very good. Well, thanks, Thank Ian,
0: you. for joining us. Thanks, guys. And of course, we'll take a short break and when we return, we'll be joined by Tom Conway and Saja Khoirala and of course, they're here to tell us about assistive technologies, and, of course, website accessibility. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii.
2: We live in Hakalau, which is a tiny little village 16 miles north of Hilo. And there's absolutely, we don't have high-speed anything. There's no cable TV. So uh, radio is our lifeline. We absolutely live for HPR. We listen throughout the day without fail.
3: Member supported, Hawaii Public Radio. Radio
0: with vision. Listen
2: and see.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Tom Conway and... Saja Koirala, and of course, Tom is the director of the Center on Disability Studies Media Center. Thank you. <laughs> Over at the University of Hawaii at Manoa.
1: Meanwhile, Saja is a University of Hawaii graduate student and enthusiastic user of assistive technology. She is also vision impaired.
0: And of course, how has the web become more accessible? We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank
3: are, you Thank you very much for inviting us um, We are championing accessibility for the websites and we uh, work on different various apps we want to make sure that everybody's able to access information whether it's on an app app or through your phone so it's a uh, really critical. For companies and institutions, anyone wanting to get information out on the web to have it accessible so a greater number of people can, you know, interact with your information. Well, it's great to have you here. I should mention
1: that the company I work for, Hawaii Information Service, has worked with the Center on Disability Studies Media Center because we work in real estate. Realtors have websites, and they are also covered by requirements as well as the business interest of having information accessible to all users. Now, a lot of people are excited about the web. They think the web makes information available everywhere. Everywhere, But we all probably remember the dark days of, for example, flash-based websites, right, which was a weird kind of presentation technology that wasn't accessible even to people uh, with uh, the most modern computers sometimes. So accessibility isn't always guaranteed just
3: because there's technology involved. That's correct. Uh, That's a good point because a lot – you can't just look at a website or look at an app or an active and know that it's actually accessible to everyone. Um, Primarily uh, when you're testing it, we use different types of assistive technology. Um, someone like Saja or someone who's uh, blind or seeing impaired will typically use what they call a screen reader. So it's reading everything that's on, on the page. Um, and you have to have the, the content set up correctly, though. It has to be made so that um, the screen reader can actually read it intelligently, can go through it, um, and navigate it correctly. Um, but all the images have some sort of what they call alternative text attached to it. Uh, another good uh, example is um, captioned videos. Uh, you probably have all seen videos and you've seen words at the bottom of it. Those mm-hmm. It's called closed captioning. Um, closed captioning just means you can turn it on and off. Um, these are actually all requirements under Section 508 of this 1973 Rehabilitation Act. So there are requirements. Um, that you are supposed to have your content accessible if you're um, you know, outputting information to the general public. Now, Tom, you know, we've uh – Actually, you've been doing this for quite a while,
0: and we know because we've actually had you on the show. Some, <laughs> some, I think it's what six years ago now, like in twenty twelve. Uh, you know, and, and as Ryan brought up, I mean, the web has really kind of changed. There's, there's a lot more things that are happening when you go to a particular website. And back in twenty twelve, you know, for the most part, I mean, it was pretty much what you saw. You had pictures, you had. Text you had you know maybe some audio, but now with all the things coming in and out of a a website, how do you address some of these accessibility issues especially for the vision impaired?
3: Well um, fortunately there are guidelines that were developed by what we call the World Wide Web Consortium or W3C. They've set up guidelines, international ones, for people to follow to make sure that all of other content can be used by a larger audience. Uh, It's really critical to have um, your website or any sort of uh, digital content. I'd like to really emphasize that it's not just website but things you make download off of it, Mm. whether it's a form Um, forms are usually a big challenge. Also people typically have a lot of old material on there, you know, documents, books. Um, These things are also required to be accessible. So Going through it, um, we where I work at at the media center. You know, we follows strictly follow the WC3 guidelines to make sure that things are accessible and will be you know, available to everyone who wants to access. Mm-hmm. Well, I
1: definitely want to talk a little bit more about those specific guidelines and where they're headed with some changes coming up. But Saja, let's could you give us a uh, description of maybe what the experience is. For someone like you, using a screen reader, I know that uh, when we run tests at our company, when you say images need to be labeled, that means don't label an image image because the word just if you get to a web page and it just says image 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 button button image it 's right, not right, really right. helpful so uh, let's say you 're visiting a local bank well what 's that experience like
4: so uh, I use a screen reader software, and like you guys have been saying, screen reader software actually reads the content uh, on on the on the web, so there are different kinds of screen reader software. I use a one called Jaws J A W S, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good uh, screen reader software. Uh, speaking of a particular like the banking, I don't really do online banking, but uh, when I go on uh, websites, I would first let's say I would probably go through the homepage. And there are different keyboard commands that I rely on because I can't use a cursor. Uh, I rely on different keyboard commands to uh, find out what links are on the website. Uh, How can I, and there are different ways to uh, make the process faster, like structured heading, which I'm sure uh, Dr. Conway will talk about in a little bit. That's something uh, that's uh, a requirement of WCGA, and many, many, many websites still today don't have that. So what screen, uh, what structured headings do is that it actually uh, makes the process of navigating the, uh, the website faster. Uh, so screen reader software has changed a lot uh, and has gotten better for the most part, but there is still a lot of work that needs to be done. And uh, something that I use on a regular basis is I am a... Um, Graduate students, so I and I have taken a lot of classes online. Uh, so I rely on different uh, uh, platform, like let's say uh, UHUJS, la LaLima, mm-hmm. uh, yep. and then uh, Canvas is another another academic uh, another platform that I have I have used for my classes. And uh, some of my professors have used Blackboard, Zoom. These websites are for the most part accessible, but. Uh, There are work that still needs to be done. And then uh, something, one real change that I have noticed is on Facebook. I use Facebook a lot. And Mm. recently, actually, before, uh, like uh, Ryan was saying, when I would uh, go to Facebook, I could, okay, someone has put a picture. Okay, Blank has added four pictures. But there was no way for me to tell what pictures there were. But now Facebook actually uh, this captions the picture. It doesn't necessarily audio describe. That's a whole different thing. But it captions the fi- uh, picture or oh, image may contain four people, indoor or whatever. And that has really made a difference hmm. for me. I mean, I really enjoy Facebook more now than I used to. And this is a pretty recent change. Wow, is
1: that an automated process? Or
0: is I, believe so. I believe so. I believe so. Because a user doesn't normally put in any kind of descriptor for some Not of
4: these. for images. They may caption. They may say or get together at a friend's. But they wouldn't actually, uh, you know, caption each picture. But Facebook now does that.
1: That's interesting.
4: For the most part, there are some pictures here and there that are not captioned, and I don't know what determines that. But for the most part... uh, Uh, The pictures are captioned, and that has really made the process of going to Facebook more enjoyable, and Mm. I feel more engaged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love hearing the descriptions. (laughs) So do
0: you you have a sense as to how they might accomplish that? Is that some kind of a machine learning thing, or how do they determine what the picture, what the content of the picture might might entail?
4: I really don't know. I don't know about that, but... uh, I don't know what they rely on. But you know, one thing I have noticed is if the captions, if the pictures are not captioned, Facebook says uh, no automatic alt text available. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the process is. Tom,
0: have you any Yeah, any um,
3: t- typically it's been um, someone has to go in and do it. Um, that's primarily how audio, um, how alternate text is added to all the images. So mm-hmm. that's when um, it's even though a program can be made so that it can accommodate assistive technologies, and have structured headings like Sausage just talked about, it really does end up to the end the person putting in the content to really you know make an effort to have it be you know accessible. So that's a really a, a primary thing. Companies <coughs> like Facebook and um, Google and these other ones can make it so it's available. But in the end, it's actually the person putting up the... The material that has to make it accessible.
1: I, I do know that there is technology that's getting better, even in real estate, for example, they can identify, a, a computer can identify a yeah. kitchen versus a bedroom, and I can imagine that you know, uh, it, Google has gotten to the point where it knows what a cat is versus what a dog is, but it, we're a long way from there, so it does require effort on the part of a publisher, uh, owner of a website or a Facebook, to make that information available.
3: And, and one thing I'd like to point out, even though they may have things that can like automatically identify something, which is very useful, I don't want to that down, But um, if you're trying to sell something, you're trying to sell your company or you you know, you, you really want to put it in the best light as possible. So, you know, if I was trying to sell my house, a good example with your company, I'd want to, you know, describe something more about the kitchen. You know, it has teak wood or right. it has a, you know, a stainless steel thing. So the more things you add to it, you know, the more interesting and engaging it can be, like Sasha pointed out. You know, if, if you have more description about what the pictures are, she's going to have a better experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I do have to uh, I
0: want to get to a couple of questions that uh, uh, were actually written into us. But I want to hold that thought for now. We want to take a short break to continue our conversation with both Tom Conway and Saja Kaurala. And we're talking about assistive technologies. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter-Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and & Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Tom Conway and Saja Koirala about making websites and online tools more accessible for pe- for everybody. Now, before we jump into video, which, which is
0: a, a hot topic, uh, you know, in terms of prioritization, I mean, I know that a lot of government websites are required to be accessible. Uh, and, of course, now with all the, I guess, interest in in disasters and sort of high-priority kinds of messages. What are things that uh, are being done to make sure that they are received by all the recipients that, that need to receive this information?
3: Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, it's an ongoing process. Um, it's a big, big job to get everything to be accessible in the first place, but having things made so anyone can engage with it is, is a challenging one, especially for something like an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say about seven years ago, I think the last time we were on your show, we had someone who would actually developed an app for first responders, and that required them to go in and do a, cover a lot of territory, because typically on someone is uh, engaged in emergency, a first responder may not know that the person they're going to be engaging with or trying to get information with or even evaluate whether they are they are deaf, whether they're blind, whether they have some sort of, you know, some sort of other impairment that it might cause them not to be able to communicate if, as effectively as they need to at that given moment. So there's ongoing, um, you know, app development. There's things going on. Uh, it's still a big challenge. Mm-hmm. They still have, a, like, a long ways to go. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, uh we had mentioned uh, video because, well, S- Saja, I-, I understand that Facebook is more engaging as there's more information available to you. Uh, when you're publishing videos, although YouTube as a major platform does its darndest to try and caption a video from what is said. I know from personal experience, even for videos I've done for work, that it's not so great. So what is the video experience like for someone uh, who's uh, vision impaired?
4: Okay, I'm so glad that you asked this question, because I have an interesting way of watching videos on YouTube. So I go to YouTube a lot. I watch movies from there. Uh, I I watch shows from back home on YouTube. But what I do is that now videos have videos in them, right? So it has audios, but it also has visuals that I'm missing because the videos for the most part are not audio described. So what I do is I... Um, Forward, I forward, forward, forward until I hear voices. And when the music starts playing, then I again forward, forward, forward until I start hearing voices. So whatever is being shown on visuals, I am missing them. Now, if I'm watching a show, for example, you know, and people, if I'm watching a movie, for example, I again, I I start this movie and Mm -hmm. then I forward, forward, forward until I hear the voice. <laughs> and then uh, you know, and if if the music starts playing again, although I know things are being done while the music is playing, maybe they are crying, whatever it may be, <laughs> I, I have no access right, to that. Right. Mm-hmm, That's how mm-hmm. I watch movies. Mm-hmm. Do uh, you? I mean,
1: so Tom mentioned closed captioning. That is something that that a video publisher can do to provide not just the 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 text of what is said but a description of what is happening is that something that you encounter at at all or it sounds like you just don't even expect or look for something like that
4: i don't even expect to look for something like that and i don't know if the experience would be equivalent to me because Mm. because when i'm watching a video i'm really listening to a video so i don't know if i would have to pause the video to listen to the closed captioning if i did that then it would be no different than just reading text for me Uh, so I don't know. I haven't even tried that, and I don't know how enjoyable, how accessible that would be, but audio description is something that would really make a difference for for me as a blind person. Now, audio description is, as it implies, describing in audio. Whatever is being shown in visual, uh, describing that in audio is audio description. Now, uh, Hawaii... In Hawaii all the movie theaters are now required to have their movies audio described so when I go to watch a movie in theater I have fun because mm-hmm. oh, nice. because you know I am I am watching I have the alpha, I have to put this special headphone it's not special actually I just have to put a regular headphone <laughs> and then uh, while the music is being playing Uh, while the music is playing, uh, the the audio description is going in my ear. Oh, people are dancing, whatever it may be. Uh uh Uh, So audio description is something that would be really helpful for a blind person.
3: And so, audio description is actually a, a, an additional requirement for to make something accessible. I Just like to point out, am um, typically closed captioning that we probably all of us have seen, whether it's uh, you know translated into another English or another track. That's typically uh, geared towards people who are who are um, deaf, so they can hear, you know, read what's going on. Um, audio description, particularly like in cinema or a video or something, is geared, more geared towards people who are blind. Just like Saja explained, it's so they can describe what they're missing if there's a visual image going on. They, they cut into the track and they added on to it. So, mm-hmm.
4: And sorry not to interject, but I have watched movies uh, when, when audio description was a requirement and when it was not a requirement. And both times I went to watch movies with my husband. So the first time when I went to watch movie, I was not really there. I was bored out of my mind while he was laughing so hard. He was having <laughs> fun. But the second time, my husband and I, we laughed together because I was also having access to... Uh, the visuals, mm, you know, mm-hmm, in my own mm-hmm. way, that's and it, that really made a difference, and it was fun.
0: Now, now, Sanja, you know, one of the things I read about the, you on the uh, the CDS uh, website was that you're a big online shopper. I mean, and, and <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the big things that you really like to uh, like to do. Uh, What is your experience when going to these shopping sites? I mean, is is Amazon a good place to... Amazon
4: is a good place. Yes, Amazon is a good place. Uh, It's pretty accessible. And I'm so fearful of website being inaccessible that I don't really go out of my comfort zone. Hmm. So Amazon is something I have stuck with for years. Mm -hmm. And that's where I do all my shopping, actually. And there is a Nepali store. That's where I'm from. So uh, uh, that website of that Nepali story is also pretty accessible. So those are really two websites that I shop, and Amazon is a good one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty so accessible.
1: That's a great insight, because if you have created a website that is accessible, you will find a audience there that, just can come to trust that you have that information. I mean, a government should have that, right. but as a private business, it might be something that is a business advantage. We only have a couple of minutes, but, Tom, you did mention that the regulations that guide these requirements is also changing. What's coming up? Yeah,
3: there's a new regula- uh, There's an a- addition. They amend them every once in a while. A new one's coming up in two weeks on Section 508, and audio description um, is one of the added elements to it. Um, they do update these because as we all know technology does change and how people use it changes and so the more they use it the more accessible it needs to be
1: so if your business puts out uh, YouTube videos you might have been captioning it uh, what what people are saying which is certainly a good start but uh, if you're listening and you're making a video what does that mean do you need to use a new tool how hard it is, is it to meet this requirement
3: no it's not that difficult you can still use the same programs what you're basically doing is you're going to be adding in um, an, an audio track to it so you have have like a a caption one. You'll probably have an additional audio track that you'll need to record. So it might be a little bit of you know finagling around, but it's mainly just adding things to it. So you'd have the regular track, and then you do a track over it saying, "Here is they're at the bus station." You know, whatever whatever the scene is, it's not hmm. being described.
1: You would, but but a voice would narrate Correct. that in a way like a happy face is bouncing along. and Correct. Turns a corner yeah. or something.
3: Um, it, it's kind of a, a real skill because you have to realize they have to go by what the track is. So there's a lot of dialogue going on in, in the in the video or the film. It's going to be tough to like interject things. There. And so real quick. I mean, in terms of uh, people that aren't
0: compliant, um, what are some of the ramifications there?
3: Um, there are legal ramf- ramifications. Um, you can get sued. Um, it is, you know, you do have a public entity there. You are required to have the uh, content accessible. Um, you know, people think, well, I haven't been sued yet. It can't happen to me. But the problem is the longer you have a website up and the lo- longer you have content up there that's not accessible, the bigger <clears throat> chore it is to try to go back and correct it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is
1: there a resource that, it, well, and certainly we should ask about uh, your website as well, but where? Uh, uh, would be a good resource for somebody who wants to learn more to help their organization, their club, their nonprofit, their company, or their government office be more
3: accessible. Well, well um, I've, I've, I would recommend us. Actually, okay. Uh, okay. Well. This, but, so our address, are, our URL is www.cds so like center on disability studies edu. or you can just email me directly. I'd be happy to you know, forward to you any sort of resource. You know, we'll put very, you in touch. Very good. Well, Tom Conway is a director at the
0: UH Center on Disability Studies Media Center and Saja Koirala is a
1: grad student over at CDS. We want to thank you both for joining us today.
4: Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you very much. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to a couple of the companies in the first cohort of the Mana Up Accelerator.
0: And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. You can also
1: find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HPR1. Stay safe, and of course, we'll
0: see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.